Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Laura Brodnick. And I'm Elfie Scott. Welcome. Elfie is filling in for Key today. And we're off to a kind of a bad start because we both have contraband drinks in the studio. That is true. <laughs> you have an iced coffee. I have a soda. If we don't spill them on our laptops, it will be a miracle. <laughs> we're only also supposed to have water for our voices, but that has gone out the window today. So apologies, everyone. Can't wait to keep burping. <laughs> a nice little intro to our podcast. (laughs) Anyway, well, we need some lightness because we have a bit of a serious topic today. One of the most polarizing women in the entertainment and fashion industry, Amrata, has released a new episode of her podcast where she gets fans to write in questions. And she's talked about a time recently where her body was at its worst. The industry really celebrated it and it's opened up this whole conversation of what's happening in the entertainment and fashion industry, kind of making us think that it's worse than we thought. And we're also going to get into a bit of a discussion about Amrata herself because I think we have very different views on her. Things might get heated. I don't know. Stick around. But first, the entertainment news headlines of the day. I have news. What's the hot gas? I want more headlines. Well, unfortunately, one of the main stories that we reported on yesterday has escalated, and that's the fact that three of Lizzo's former dancers are suing her, along with her production company and Sherlene Quigley, who is the captain of her dance team. And they are suing her for alleged sexual, religious and racial harassment, along with disability discrimination, assault and false imprisonment, which are just a few of the charges that have been put forward in this very extensive legal document. And since those allegations were made public, a number of other people who have worked alongside Lizzo have come out with their own stories, including Oscar-nominated filmmaker Sophia Nali Allison, who said that she pulled out of working on a documentary with Lizzo due to alleged mistreatment. So on her Instagram account, she wrote, I usually don't comment on anything pop culture related, but in 2019, I travelled a bit with Lizzo to be the director of her documentary, and I walked away after two weeks. I was treated with such disrespect by her, I witnessed how arrogant and unkind she is. I was not protected and was thrown into a shitty situation with little support. My spirit said to run as fast as you fucking can and I'm so grateful I trusted my gut. I felt gaslit and I was deeply hurt but I've healed. Allegations against Lizzo have also been made by her former creative director, Quinn Whitney Allison, along with Courtney Holoquist, who was a dancer for Lizzo, who have also come forward with their own allegations of mistreatment. At the time of recording, neither Lizzo nor her production company have released a statement on the allegations, but we will report on those when they come through. And on mamamia.com.au, we have done a full article on all the allegations that have been made against Lizzo. So if you want to read the full story, we will link that in our show notes. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. 
That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. This week, fans are starting to speak out against the sale of obstructed or no-view tickets being sold for stadium concerts. So it's being reported today that Beyonce is now selling no-view tickets, i.e. you literally cannot see the stage during her performance for Renaissance tour shows. Specifically, that is happening on the New Jersey leg of her tour, and those tickets are selling for $150 US dollars. The seats are apparently set up behind the stage, so you never even get like the vaguest glimpse of her. But this conversation has also sparked a lot of interest in what's happening with Taylor Swift's Eras tour, because fans have been posting videos to TikTok showing that they could only get a glimpse of the singer when she walked far out onto the runway into the crowd. So this is happening across a couple of different major tours right now. It's not totally clear if the no-view seats on Beyonce's tour are standard for all of the shows and whether those tickets will be available when Beyonce eventually comes to Australia, although I looked it up and I don't believe that those dates have actually been set yet, so maybe this is all still hearsay. But the tickets really bring back into clear view the ridiculous costs that these musicians like Beyonce and Taylor Swift are asking of their fans over these tours, with average stadium tickets selling for hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, and some of these tickets literally not providing anything more of an experience than what you could hear on Spotify at home. I know why people would be upset if you bought a ticket and then you arrived at the venue and realised then that you couldn't see, which I've seen a few people on TikTok get to like Taylor Swift tour concerts and find out that they thought they had not great seats, but they could still Mm. see the stage and only realising when they got there that there was no view. So I think you'd feel really cheated. But I think if it's clearly marked that there's no view of the stage and that's what you're getting into and you choose to pay the $150, isn't that fine? I have seen some fans talking about it on social media saying it's worth it to breathe the same air as that musician be vaguely in the same vicinity as them, but that just still doesn't make sense to my brain. I know, it's wild, but I think it just speaks to the power these women have, like in Taylor and Beyonce, that people just want to be in that stadium. I'm not sure exactly where my Taylor Swift tickets are because I wasn't super involved in buying them. However, I do believe they're pretty far away and we might as well be in a different stadium because we'll pretty much be watching her on the screen. People just want to be in the stadium. They want to be dressed up. They want to hear the music live. So if you missed out on the good seats and there was an offer to come into the stadium, be in the concert, even though you can't see the person except on the screen and you pay $150, isn't that better than not being able to go at all? I don't know. Maybe. No one's forcing you to pay the yeah, $150. Nobody is forcing anybody to do yes. this. But $150 for atmosphere feels a little bit sticky. I for know, me. but when you think, I've got friends who paid like $2,000 for Taylor Swift tickets. Oh my like, God. That's a wild amount of money in the pre-sale to get those really good like special area seats because they were just so worried that they wouldn't get them. And not like overly wealthy friends, you know, people with disposable income, but that's still a lot of money. They'd rather buy a $2,000 Taylor Swift ticket than use that money on a holiday or anything else. So I just think like you charge people what they're willing to pay. Yeah, I guess it just feels a little bit, uh, I know, a I mean, little I, bit exploitative to my brain. I yeah, don't know. I mean, Is at the okay? end of the day, like, 
music and art and all that sort of stuff should be overly accessible to most people. But I think that's just not the world we live in. Like, just think of all the people who got the Taylor Swift tickets and you had all these like mums and people at home who were trying to get tickets to their kids or like teenagers. The tickets were swooped up by people who come in and buy the $12,000 boxes and then like sell the tickets off one by one to their equally rich friends. Like, Everything in this world just comes down to money. I what a dampener. <laughs> I wish I had $12,000. So oh, yeah, my God. I know. I definitely wouldn't be sending on a Taylor Swift ticket. No offense to Taylor. But I think if you get in the room for $150 and you have a good time, that's $150 like, well spent. Okay. That's a really positive outlook, Laura. I really like it. Why am I concentrating on this? There's way more positive things to concentrate on. So in a recent episode of her podcast, High Low with M. Rada, Emily Ratajkowski talked about the fact that when her body was at its most unhealthy was the moment that she was celebrated most by the industry. So the kind of backstory that she went into is that Emily and her husband, Sebastian Bear McLeod, very sensationally split in 2022 after being married for four years. I know if you remember this time, Alfie, but there was a lot of think pieces and a lot of outrage because he had cheated on her, which Emily has pretty much confirmed. And there was a lot of backlash around, like, if you're as beautiful as M. Rada, how could you possibly be cheated on? Oh, my God, because all of these kind of things. Only ugly people are ever cheated on. And stuff. And she spoke out about that and said, like, guys, anyone can be cheated on. It's not a me thing. (laughs) The couple also had a little baby called Sylvester Apollo in 2021. So it was a whole big messy situation and a lot of it was playing out in the public eye. And, again, a lot of it was to do with cheating. So in her podcast, M. Rada talked about the fact that personally for her, when she goes through a lot of stress, She finds it very hard to eat. And so she dropped an unhealthy amount of weight very, very quickly. And even though she said she felt the worst about herself and she thought that she was visibly quite sick looking, it was at the time when her career was really starting to take off because of how she looked. And she said all of a sudden she was being booked for brands and shows that she previously hadn't been able to book because of looking unhealthy. I could not gain the weight back. In the past year, I have gained weight back and it was really frustrating for me because I actually didn't like being that skinny. It's weird though, because fashion definitely, like I started walking more shows. I was getting booked for things that I hadn't been booked for before. And when you talk about body ideals, that's really scary. And I'm like five, seven, I'm not super short. I'm not super tall, but you know, not like a tiny person and weighing that much was really alarming. And I could not gain weight. I was, um, I couldn't enjoy food. And it wasn't about my body image. It was about my anxiety. And if I'm ever stressed, I, the first thing that happens is I stop eating. It's just how my brain works. Just a few things to caveat there before we get into the intense conversation I feel like we're about to have, <laughs> judging <laughs> oh by the look God. on Alfie's face. <laughs> so every month, M. Rada doesn't ask me anything. This was in response to someone asking her if she had an eating disorder. She said no, but things that came later in the podcast make us think that potentially she has an undiagnosed one. But one of the things she said is that she hated being that tiny because she felt like she didn't physically take enough space in a room. And I was kind of in two minds about this. On one hand, I thought like it's really telling of how bad the industry is. Like the fashion and entertainment industry has always been bad. But in the last couple of years, they've tried to jump on the body diversity, body image, love train and monetize that. But behind the scenes, I think things are worse than ever before. And I think it's very telling that one of the women who's held up as being the most conventionally attractive woman in the world is only getting jobs when she's an unhealthy weight is really telling. But I also think there's so much thin privilege that comes into this. There's a lot at play. 
Yes, a hundred percent. And yes, I have deeply conflicted feelings about this because on the one hand, like you say, I do think that it's really interesting and it's really telling that somebody like her would be able to comment on something like this, you know, to say that I could perceivably see the difference in my body weight and I was getting more jobs than ever before. But the thing that I cannot get over is that she was still taking those jobs. She's still profiting from the industry. She's still promoting and propagating that kind of body image Mm -hmm. for people. So it's like you can't criticise the cycle that you are directly profiting from in this case because as it stands, thousands of young girls are still going to see your body on that runway and think that you are the ideal beauty, you Mm -hmm. are the ideal body type. And that just drives me mad to think about. (laughs) I can't deal with it. And I can't deal with M. Rada specifically mentioning the weight that she was. Yeah, that was troubling. And that's why we've decided not to play that specific clip. But she does talk about the weight she went down to and doesn't say what she did except the fact that she completely stopped eating. And she does say it's out of anxiety and she felt unhealthy. But at the same time, there probably needed to be some sort of a trigger warning on this for people listening mm-hmm. because it did kind of venture into diet talk. That's the weird thing about Emrata. I find her so interesting but also so conflicting. In her writing and podcasting, she does bring up some interesting points and I think that she gives an insight into the industry that a lot of other people in her position don't always give. So in that case, she does open up conversations. But on the other side, she's so unaware of the privilege that she's in and how the world works and how the industry that she is part of works to an extent because she always talks about, you know, walking in these runways and being in these shows and showing off her body as a form of activism. It's not activism. You have like a conventionally attractive body. You're using it to make money and to have fame and then to like work on other projects. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Like if you've got that body and you can make money off it, that's how the world works. Do it. Don't paint it as activism when it's not that. Yes, 100%. Oh, my God. And I hate that she insinuates with stories like this that she doesn't have a choice. And I think that she always has a choice. I think she's an extraordinarily privileged person who clearly has a lot of wealth that has been accumulated independently and good for her that she has done that. But at the same time, it's not as though she had to take those jobs. And I would encourage anybody who is actually in a space of being extremely anxious to the point that you can't eat of not working if you have the opportunity to do that and looking after your mental health instead. I would also say that I did notice on her Instagram and her social media around this time when she had had her baby, she posted a lot of photos of her rail-thin abs, basically, showing all of the muscles protruding in certain ways. And I think on the one hand, she would argue, I have the right to display my body as I want. It's Mm -hmm. a form of empowerment. But on the other hand, I am very upset that she would choose to promote that body type to her thousands of young women audience. Like, I think that is deeply upsetting that it doesn't even occur to her how damaging her behaviour can be. Yeah, it's like she's playing two different games. On one side, she's playing the visual game where she is profiting off her very thin body on Instagram, in fashion shows, but then she also wants to be in this space of being an activist and having a podcast and being an author. It's like she's two different people. It's like the M writer on Instagram is the same person that she then talks about on her podcast to use as a point, not kind of 
realizing that they're, they're the same person. Totally. The only thing I find interesting about her is not so much her thoughts because I find them very surface level, but just more so that they're always a good jumping point for like looking at the industry mm. picture in a whole. And as she's talking about the fact that the thinner she got, the more jobs she got, which also makes me think, were these brands not hiring Emrata before? Was she considered not thin enough to walk for a lot of these big brands or be on magazine covers at the already thin weight she was? But it made me think of a piece I wrote earlier this year about how body diversity is disappearing from the runways Mm. because there were all these studies done this year by Business of Fashion and by Vogue and they went through all the big fashion weeks, so like New York, Paris, Milan, and looked at what the sizes were of each runway and found that instead of progressing forward and having more diverse bodies on every catwalk, we're actually going backwards in terms of models of different sizes. And I think that that, because that was a lot of numbers and stats, it didn't really hit people the way it should have, that this is a business that's trying to monetize the body image movement, but behind the scenes, making it so much worse. And so I think someone coming out like this and saying like, I'm considered to be the one most attractive in the world. And even I can't get booked for jobs unless I'm unhealthily skinny. Like maybe that will hit people in a way that these numbers won't. Yeah, sure. I appreciate that. I appreciate the impact of somebody in her position speaking out about it. It frustrates me that she won't speak about the experience of other models that she sees around her either. She exclusively talks about these narratives from her own perspective, but I wish that she could expand that a little bit at least and like see what is happening in the world around her and not just make these conversations happen when it specifically affects her. I mean, you can go listen to her podcast if you like. Just be aware that if you're suffering from an eating disorder or any of those thoughts, it might be potentially Mm. triggering for you. What we will link in the show notes is that piece about the model statistics and how they're changing if you'd like to read into that further. Thanks so much for listening to The Spill today. And thank you, Laura, for having me on the episode. Thanks for joining us with your Emirata thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry I get so turbo. (laughs) This episode of The Spill was produced by Laura Brodnick and Taylor Strano with audio production by Leah Porges. Our executive producer is Gia Moylan. We'll see you on mamamia.com.au and the Spill Instagram. Bye. Bye.